Are you going to get another job? I don't think I'd like another job. <laughs> well, what are you going to do about money and bills and... You know, I've never really liked paying bills. I don't think I'm going to do that either. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what condition my condition was in. I woke up this morning with the sun down shining in. Oh. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the f***ing money, head? Oh, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Tripped on a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind. On a jagged sky. Okay, you know, you guys aren't privy to all the new <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's what you, uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you $60,000. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. Just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. What the f are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the sun down shining in. Well, and walk back, Stash and Jacks have tomorrow. Make Pampas on the board. SP Futures down 12. NASDAQ Futures down 39. Uh, big news last night, I guess, if you do earnings stuff, which uh, I do. Um, kind of makes you wonder why you do them when the snow <laughs> snows down fifty two bucks. I was a little bearish, uh, Greg. I did a where the hell is the stock? It was like two thirty or something. I think I did the thirty twenty five strike or something. I was a little bearish in there. Well, I guess I wasn't bearish enough. The stock trade one seventy eight. That hurts. Yeah, I'm gonna what the hell over. Just um, pretty strange stuff. I mean, the, the CEO's leaving, right? And they kind of miss, but uh, you wonder. On the the trading floor, we had a rally early on in my career, and all of a sudden, some stocks they'd they'd be like one day they'd be sixty, the next day they'd be forty. They used to call it the trap door. Stock got a trap door, like on a stage, type of thing. Um, how many stocks are hanging around at these uh, you know fairly high levels that are susceptible to this kind of stuff? Then again, there's always Bitcoin trading sixty four thousand. Let's go. Let's go buy an artificial stock. Sell a real stock and buy an artificial stock. What do you think? I don't know. I think. What snow was not so long ago was 150 bucks. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's, it, it all had these kind of parabolic rises. Do we have a Professor Kevin? Good morning. How are you? All right. Happy Leap Day. I hope everybody makes the most of getting an extra day this year. Um, is it Leap Year? The lady's supposed to be able to uh, propose to the guy, and then what about Leap Day? Does that mean you can like jump on somebody and pin I, them I don't down? Know, but I'm lay, I'm gonna lay low. I think. Yeah, I think, yeah, there's got to be, I'm sure there's people after me. <laughs> yeah, you, you never know. There might be a, actually, we used to call him a secret admirer, now we'd probably call him a stalker, right, Kevin? Uh, yeah, that would be, um, well, that, that could be me. No, never mind. No, God. Uh, not with the restraining order. Uh, no, no. Um, how many restraining orders do you have to have before you can't go out of any door of your house? Uh, I, I don't know, I'll let you know when I get there. Oh, God. The, uh, Isn't that a different kind of restraining order? Yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, they, then you go to the ankle bracelet, and you're, you're kind of, you know. 
Yeah, you gotta. Um, you, know, you can't go too far with those. Well, at least you're supposed to not be able to. Um, hey, uh, no, but before you do that, you guys were talking yesterday about chucking up. You know, continuing to shoot three pointers. Yeah. And uh, in in all of my years covering uh, uh, college basketball and Notre Dame basketball, uh, I I asked that question of a lot of people. What do you do when you miss a bunch in a row? And with one exception, only one person ever said anything other than, if it's an open shot and it's a good shot, I'm taking it, and the coach says to take it. Don't hesitate. And, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because you were talking about it the, other, uh, the uh, day after um, uh, Brandon Shrewsbury for, for Notre Dame had missed. He, I think he made his first three-pointer of the game and then missed, like, the next eight. And, uh, and when it came down to crunch time, uh, he, uh, he made the three-pointer that, that gave them a four-point lead in the last minute of the game. So I guess there is some merit to that. Um, but... Jaron Grant is the only guy, and Grant Jaron was a really, really streaky shooter. Some of the Chicago fans might remember him because he was a Bulls first round draft pick. But um, uh, you know, good ball player, excellent ball handler, one of the best passers I've ever seen. Uh, but um, but a, and and really good finisher around the basket, but very streaky as an outside shooter. His brother was. Like, a... He would have games when he went off. And he would have other games when he just couldn't, you know, hit a shot. And he is the one guy who said, yeah, I take a couple early. If I don't hit them, I stop taking them. Well, I, is he, uh, he's not still playing, is he? He's playing in Europe, I believe. His, his brother was... His, uh, his brother, Jeremy, I think, is still in the NBA. Yeah, I was saying he had a brother that was uh, actually a little better than him, right? And, and he had a father, uh, Harvey, who played in the NBA yeah. for quite a while, and an uncle, Horace, that... Chicago fans will also remember fondly for th- the first three of their championships. And he had a pretty good career after he left here. Uh, yeah, he did well in uh, in Orlando. He's a good ball player. Yeah, um, real solid around the around the around the rim and a good you know pretty decent mid 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 range shot and a solid rebounder. Good player. Yep. The uh, we were uh, talking a little bit the other night, Kevin. And uh, by the way, I was thank you again for having me in front of your class. Yeah, they had a blast. We were talking. This, this, by the way, this just for, for the uh, um, for the listeners, you know, this this just sort of turns into a uh, turned into a um, episode of Stocks and Jocks in many ways. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, the interesting part, Kevin, is we were talking uh, obviously about the uh, some antitrust and regulation in our industry and how regulation sorts sorts starts to melt together with the people who are supposed to be regulating sometime, and also. How different generations or different decades or whatever, we have all these laws on the books, and all of a sudden for a decade or so they they don't even get enforced to the point where nobody even knows they're there, and all of a sudden maybe some group something will happen and then and they maybe they do get enforced for a while. And it's really strange that uh, I mean when I was in high school I remember my uh, brother Copper who was our history and English teacher said any any law implies enforcement, and if you're not going to enforce it, get it out of there. Because then it becomes selective enforcement, which you don't want in a free society. And uh, and I think we've seen. I think we're pretty much seeing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, I. Uh, I mean, everybody knows that the, the the last thing I want on earth is to see Trump in the White House. Yet what's going on with the guy is is clearly selective enforcement in my mind, and I don't even like him. 
for some of this stuff. I mean, uh, I don't see how... Uh, it's either selective or invented in many ways. Yeah. So. I mean, I don't... Uh, I don't see how, when, when you have a, just for, uh, you know, just, just for giggles, uh, PTI and, and an awful lot of other firms, uh, matter of fact, just about everybody's had some episode. Um, we had a episode, you know, it was a long time ago now, um, where somebody was able to, essentially by, by hook or crook, Send us a bus, bunch of messages and got money wired to the wrong place, and we ended up, you know, covering the person. Even though I convinced it was an inside job, we covered the person anyway. Uh, somebody starts using their own computer and their own password to get to you. It makes you kind of wonder. But anyway, um, we covered the person. He had three different regulatory authorities stamped on us. We got to find you guys. Well, why? We we just paid the guy. We're the victim. Oh no no! You, you you should have stopped it. Okay, well, but in, but the, the backstory was while it was going on, I knew it was going on, and the people who did it were still available. They were still sending us emails, and I called five or six different law enforcement people, FBI, Secret Service. I said, "Look, it's happening right now. Here's the guy." Not one person gave a crap. It was it was they almost laughed at me? Yet now all of a sudden, everybody's anxious to find us. Now flip that around, all of a sudden, Trump, as big of a knucklehead as I think he is, all of a sudden now the, the regulators in New York are deciding that they have to protect these banks from him putting down that a building is worth $5 million when it was worth $3 million. Yet, <laughs> they, don't, they don't care about it. Every other time... First of all, first of all, the banks do appraisals. Yeah. So, yeah. so that, that's part one. Number two is everybody got paid. Yeah. And all of the bank's testimony was that they would do business with him again. Well, the one bank, remember the one bank, was it City or, or one of them, one part of the bank cut him off the same day another part of the bank gave him a new loan. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, the, the idea that, that all of a sudden these guys are caring about protecting some bank is so ludicrous, it's scary. They weren't worried about protecting us. They are worried about... The state of Illinois goes, wait a minute, Finra's going to find you? We'll find you too. <laughs> really? I mean, th- this is this is ludicrous. Anyway, I just, even... Uh, on the trading floor, we call that piling on. Yeah. You just pile on to the whatever... Yeah, you, you, don't even, there you, don't, you don't even yeah. do your own investigation. What's he doing? They I'll call do. it piling on as well, and they, and they penalize the person piling on. Yeah, well, it's... It, you know, and I, coming in this morning, Kevin, I was just, as we talked about, you know, enforcement or lack of thereof of antitrust laws. It was, I think your your students were were uh, interested when I said, you know, Walmart used to have uh, <clears throat> all these drugs at, a, at, a, at five bucks a month. Now, I don't, I don't know if they have any left that are five bucks. They haven't been bought back by somebody and the price is raised. I said, if you read the law, <clears throat> and we read the Sherman and Clayton Act, a little bit of it to everybody, Read the law. Every single one of those is a criminal offense. Every one, <laughs> and, and they're, they're sitting right in front of you. <laughs> Every one of them. You could go take the board of directors and the president of the company who did it, put them in cuffs, and get them the hell out of there. And yet we don't we don't even look at it. Okay. Now this morning I'm on the way in. Of course, two or three idiots were, were, were. One guy when I came into the building here was going down Jackson. Greg, he had to be going 60 miles an hour down Jackson, honking the horn, making sure nobody was in the intersection. 
Some guy is on the ramp over here. There's a ramp from the Kennedy to the, to the whatever it used to be, Congress Parkway, or whatever it is. And I'm going down the ramp, and there's a guy, I thought he was going to be, wants to be behind me on the ramp. He's behind me honking the horn at me. Now the ramp speed's 45, I'm doing probably 60. The guy's honking at me, but he doesn't even want to go up the ramp. He goes on the other ramp. I mean, what would happen tomorrow if on one of these expressways we showed up with like 20 cops like we ought to have, and everybody gets pulled over, and there's hundreds of hours of fines, and people going over 100 get their car impounded or something. What would happen, Kevin? Everybody, everybody would be shot. I mean, it's the point now where if, if you or I got pulled over <clears throat> on a Chicago Expressway, we'd really think we were being singled out. And how, how could you possibly get pulled over? There's no license plates. Everybody's going 100 miles an hour. I mean, it's it's a free for all. How could you how could you how could you stop and pull somebody over unless you got in the way for your donut run for God's sake? And we're, we're 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 becoming chaos in a lot of ways here. Maybe it's maybe the government is reflective of the generations. Maybe there's whole groups of people that have never been told no, no matter what they do. And it's not just young people. It's not just minority people. It's everybody. Stop signs. I, I laugh every time. Yesterday I was I was going home and I hear uh, some long whiny story about we have to increase bicycle safety vis-a-vis cars. The first time I see a bicycle stop at a stop sign will be the first time. I've never seen one anybody. When I used to go out and walk five, six miles every Saturday morning, I never worried about getting hit by a car. Bike guys are zooming by me, yelling at me for for expecting them to stop at a stop sign. I mean, yeah, so 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 your first so what's what would be the first step if you were solving a problem in the in in the real world instead of in uh, uh, traffic world? What would you do? Well, the first way I'd address bicycle safety is starting with the cyclists and say, "You be safe, so that when you're safe." We can then make sure that the drivers make sure you're safe. Right. Um, and and this is you know this is just sort of logic. This is sort of like you know raising your kids. And when you raise a kid who it looks like hell because he's a heavy metal drummer and looks the part, and he gets pulled over all the time by the cops. Um, you know maybe his dad, i.e. me, says I will go down and I will bitch at the police department and I'll raise hell and I'll make it you know I'll make it really difficult for them. But you got to be clean. If they get, if they stop you and search you without cause, you better not have anything. <laughs> oh yeah, without a doubt. Um, and it's this it's that same mindset that you know you you have to, uh, um, you know, you, it, it cuts both ways. And yeah, we we just don't. The, logic is not part of much that we do as public policy anymore. I mean, is that is there going to be a, a a recoil back to that or not or not? I mean, sometimes it's my, my uncle you know, dead. I, I don't know. I, I tell you what is, um, we'll we'll see what happens with immigration. Um, you know, this this is the hot one right now in terms of you know topically speaking, because it's not just the um, the young woman in Georgia who was killed. It's like there there is almost a story a day now where someone who's in the con- uh, country illegally. This week, it's a two year old child. There was another one. Um, uh, just yesterday, uh, with three people killed, I mean, and, and why is that? It's not because a lot of people en- entering this country, or you know, economic opportunity, are po- are bad off. It's because we refuse to secure borders, and now we're getting floods of gangs, 
you know, drug distribution networks um, coming across with impunity. So, you know, uh, uh, when they're caught, they, they, uh, they get released into the country. You know, you get your court date, you get released into the country, and you go away. You got places like Venezuela emptying the jails and saying, hey, we don't, you know, you can't, don't come back, but uh, we don't want to have to take care of, uh, you know, uh, of you anymore. So, you know, they send them out. Isn't that what the British did? That's what the British did in Australia, right? Oh, yeah, but this is this is what we're this is what we're looking at in terms of, you know, what's happening today. And I think we are starting to see such a strong backlash that even Biden is going to visit the border today, finally. And he's not. Of course, he's not going to a hot spot. He's going to Brownsville, I think, uh, where it's it's not, you know, it's not the same level of uh, heavy traffic. But I do think that there's we're starting to see a clamor for enforcement there, and not just enforcement, that when somebody who is in the country illegally commits a crime for a really, really harsh, you know, if you don't, if you can't kick them out of the country, then throw them in jail for a long period well, of time. The only- I, I think we're starting to see that maybe that's a foundation for saying we really want to start enforcing laws. Or maybe it's just going to be a passing fancy. And, well, it, uh, it also comes down it's to... It's all going to be out of sight, out of mind in a while. This is, uh, it's also, Kevin, it is, in my mind, I know you and I kind of disagree on this, this is somewhat of a hot-button issue, especially on the right. It's all about... It, 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 but but th- what I'm saying, Tom, is it has been there, I, it's now becoming a hot-button uh, okay, issue right, across right, the political spectrum. All right, what I'm saying is, because of the fact that it's, it's getting this run, all right, if we can find somebody killed by a by a you know uh, one of these people in Timbuktu, it's massive news. It's we we're, we're dying to the cities in my neighborhood. There's 50 of these people, and why why can't why can't we get them a job or give them a place to stay? For God's sake, it's 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 not that it's becoming this massive. Oh, apparent, apparently, we can't. Um, so well, here's uh, this week, for instance, here in Chicago. Um, I'm just looking. We're, we're only in February, right? So yesterday, the day before, I probably heard five people again talking about this uh, police overkill, police brutality, police shooting people. Here's here's the story for this year. Now, where are we? We're at the end of February. 26 shot and killed. No, this month. This is February. 26 shot and killed, two stabbed, one unknown, zero shot by police. Uh, let's see, um, what do we got here? Two homicide-linked arrests. So we got nobody shot by the police. Not that we want anybody. We got two two arrests, and we have 26 shot and killed. How many other people were shot and not killed? I don't even know. Probably a lot more. Uh, anybody who thinks that people being shot by police is the problem is out of their friggin' mind. Well, and, and in fact, um, Barry Weiss did a, an interview, and I can't remember the guy's name. He's, he's an African-American guy from Harvard um, who conducted a study a few years ago and uh, you know, got a lot of heat for publishing it because he, he actually looked into uh, police shootings and found out you know, his discovery. And he they redid the study, you know, everything, because he was astounded. It went against his original belief is that there is no bias in police shootings. There is, nothing comes out there. It does, when it comes to rousting people, he said, yeah, they, they found uh, uh, abuses there. But when it comes to shootings, it wasn't there. And so it, he, he actually got encouraged. And this is in academia where we are supposedly seeking truth. Um, he, he got encouraged to 
publish the rousting part of the study and keep the uh, the rest under wraps. Um, so it's it, it is interesting um, because so much of this is uh, is narrative and uh, as opposed to uh, actual fact-based uh, arguments. And we don't like fact-based arguments unless they somehow support what we have to say. Well, I mean, I, I the if somebody says to me, you know, we can't. This month was 22 blacks, five Hispanics, and two white. Okay, so anybody who doesn't think that it's predominantly a problem in some neighborhoods where the people happen to be black. I found your study, guys. Uh, Fun fact. He then hired eight new assistants, redid the study, and the data came back the same. And he needed police protection for over a month after 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 we we released it, yeah. Well, well, I'm going to say that Making sure that you know that trying to trying to believe that this isn't centered in a lot of these areas where the people happen to be black, it's like saying the Ku Klux Klan wasn't a white problem. Yeah, it was. <laughs> there were a bunch of redneck goofball white people, right? I mean, how, how do you if you went and arrested the Klan, would you have to arrest five black people just to keep it even? I mean, how stupid would that be? Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. And, and and that's that's the logic taken to the point of absurdity. Yeah, which it should be sometimes, just so that we really uh, fully understand what we're trying to say. Um, so yeah, it's um, you know it, uh, that, you know dumping back on um, uh, on the immigration topic. Yeah, it would be great if we could put everybody to work. Apparently, we're not able to do that. We're not pulling no. it off. Um, and maybe it's because there's so many. And this is the you know the thing to remember is a lot of people give uh, you know at, uh, Governor Abbott from Texas and to a lesser degree DeSantis nowadays um, you know a lot of grief for uh, busing people up there. They're like ten percent of the total. The rest of it has come from the United States government, from the from the Biden administration, flying you know loading up people on planes and buses and getting them out of out of the uh, you know out of our the. Uh, um, hot spots because they can't handle the load there in Texas and Arizona and Southern California. Um, and so, you know, we, we're doing things that are just nutty and, and that make no sense, and yet we persist in doing them. And I don't... It, it, well, I think it depends on where you, where you want to start the conversation, Kevin. It's, it's like, you know, I always talk about this stupid chess game with Kirk and Spock used to play with the three levels. There's, there's a million levels in this chess game. I mean, it, you can't, well, I think you can't have a, a population that's totally, appears to be totally oblivious to what's going on in the world right now. The world is about as screwed up as it was before World War One. There's, there's, there's little pockets of stuff everywhere. There's people on the move. The last time I checked, maybe you can check this, Greg, there's like, there's like, what is there, 9 million refugees or people who can't live in their own country? I mean, it's, it's a massive, massive problem. And, and we have people that say, well, that's okay. Jordan's got 3 million people. They should take 10 million refugees because they all kind of look alike. they got the same color skin. They should take them all. By the way, we shouldn't take any. Well, it's not like we've never been to the Middle East. It's not like we didn't blow up Iraq, which, which started causing all this stuff. We're all over the serious situation. I'm not saying it's our fault. Maybe we're. I wouldn't we, say it started causing all this stuff because there were refugees before that. Well, yeah, it's always been. But I'm saying the the the, the fiasco of the Middle East in the last decade and a half. How many people has that caused, Kevin? I mean, does anybody live where they used to live? I mean, everybody. I mean, it's it's a and the idea that we should we should take none of them. I mean, none. 
But I'm not. I don't want anybody here I either. I understand, Tom. The problem is volume, yeah, and and chaos and and process. Because if we let's just say yeah, more than anything else, let's say we need the workers. We we need the workers, uh, you know, to do uh, um, to do uh, low skill jobs. Okay, let's let's do that. Let's also make sure that we know who's coming into the country, who they are, where they came from, that they've been vetted, and that and that we're not just you know waving people across the border. I mean, what the president the president's own words during the campaign, he wants people to surge to the border. That was his words. Well, and and he got it, and now well, he we have we have political price for it. But we have a, a, a serious amount of and it's it's not you. But there's a serious 15% of the right wing doesn't want one person here. It's like their country club. I don't want anybody else in my well, place. Tom, I don't know if it's 15%, 25%, or 5%. But 15% is a number you just chose out of the air. Yeah, I did. Okay. Let's just make sure we're not you know, throwing that out as a live statistic. It's, it, actually, it's, it's, it's higher than that with the people I know. <laughs> Let's, well, put that, let's put it that way. You know a funny cross... Uh, I talked about, talked about 30 here's, people... At, here's something else that is a big concern in the process. So let's let's throw this out there, because this, this speaks to who has interest in this. When I had into my business law class, I had Judge Bowers coming in. He was talking about torts, and he was talking about the, the setup of the... Um, uh, of the court system and you know he's he's part of the Indiana state court system and uh, and and what you know I, I have oh I think out of 18 um, students 10 or 11 are Hispanic and as you know the area where I'm in this is you know I'm, I'm the class is in Elkhart Elkhart County has very high Hispanic population both um, legally in the country and not legally in the country and a lot of children who were brought here when they were very young so they would be the DACA kids um, and uh, and they haven't known any other homes so that's sort of the makeup the demographic of the whole thing and some of them will talk about it pretty openly or at least will share it with me if they trust me uh, but a lot of them don't even want to talk about it but what was the question that I that the judge got what do you do about companies who abuse undocumented workers who say you have to work 60 hours this week tough luck if you don't want to get turned in you have to do it what are you going to do about that kind of abuse what does the court do about that kind of abuse nothing that's where the minds go right away so this is not something that is a healthy situation no it's not even for the people who come here to work because when you know because they they essentially become quasi-slaves to the people employing them. Well, without a doubt. Without a doubt. It's it's a mess all the way up and down, Kevin. And, and the, the, you and I, I mean, we got to go to break here, so we're not going to solve this problem in the next 30 seconds, but the difference is you and I, maybe we start from different parts of this, but if we were locked ourselves in a room for a while, we'll, we'll take a few people with us, uh, we might come out with some sort of a change in policy, some sort of solution at some level. I mean, we're arguing to find a solution. We're not arguing to argue. I mean, I mean, the last three people I talked to just happened to all live in Naperville. Every one of them. I don't want one of these people in Naperville. Naperville. Okay. Well, not one is like a small number. I don't want one. We're happy here. We don't need any of this crap. Okay. Well. Okay then. I mean, that's that's cool. Yeah. So, yes. And so you you get a certain yeah. Of course, you're going to get an element of that. Um, you're, you're, you're going to get an element where, where it's those people, but I, I think you also 
we'll find in Naperville of uh, some very successful people who, of Hispanic origin. Sure. Well, we uh, think they want them either. Are fully integrated into the community, and and it's not an issue at all for them. Uh, I wouldn't say that. Anybody who joins a country club doesn't wants the, the door barred. Why do Why do you join it if if anybody can get in? You know, I, I don't know. I wouldn't want to join a as Groucho said. I wouldn't want to be part of a club that would have me as a member. Well, that's that, but I mean, I think somewhere the the idiots on the right and the left of the aisle should somehow come in the middle and have a weekend at. Maybe it would take longer than a weekend at Camp David, you know. Well, if it were, if it were with Biden, it would be like a weekend at Bernie's thing. Well, whatever. But the point being, all right, look, for 50 years now, we've sent a lot of money to Central America, Venezuela, places. Did we do it just to grease the skids for our corporations? Did we do it for a purpose? Was it sent there for the right reasons? Did people steal it along the way? Did it end up backfiring on us where we made things worse instead of better? The discussion needs to be had on every level here. I think. No, I and, and it's all of the above. But yeah. now we've gotten to the point over the last three years where this is no longer a Central America problem either. No. Um, that we are seeing large, large swaths of people who are coming across now who are from the Middle East, who yeah. are from Africa. How are they get into our southern border? That's a good question. I mean, uh, and uh, um, and, and then uh, you know, and, and now you know, what do we have? Because we know we have people from certain parts of the world. Who really don't wish us well? Well, what about all that the Haitian? It, it wasn't last time I checked. Haiti was an island. How, how do you? You can't walk from Haiti to here. How do you, how do you it's get here? It's a long swim, man. <laughs> it's a really long swim. S&P futures down thirteen. Nasdaq futures down forty-two. Be right back. Stocks and jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, everyone. Stocks and jocks. I'm Tom Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures on 12. Nasdaq Futures on 38. Uh, some of this happened last night after, uh, right after the close when snow is down 23%, 52 bucks. Trade 177. Ouch on that one. And earnings, but then the CEO, I don't, he wasn't supposed to be leaving, was he, Greg? I don't, was that a surprise announcement or something? I don't know, but anybody, some combination there, they don't like the stock there. Dow Futures down 120. I really don't see anything in the Dow's down that much. We got Caterpillar up 160. Uh, we had, uh, what was that? Salesforce was last night, weren't they? And I, don't, I don't see them. Where the hell are they? They're, uh, they're only down two bucks, so that's not. And that's not causing the Dow to be down, but the Dow futures are down. Over in Europe, the DAX up 79.5%, uh, FTSE up 23.3%, CAC around down 3, 
while that's flat. By the way, the big inflation number today from the Fed, their preferred inflation number, PCE, which you can't find anywhere with the detail is, so it's, it's such a joke that that's their number. But we're going to hear that this morning. We're in Asia. Nikkei down 41, call that flat. Hang Seng down 25. That's pretty much flat, too. 1%, 16,511. Shanghai, however, up 57. That's almost 2%. Uh, 3,015, so they're back over 3,000. The, uh, the government, again, their policy now is to try and push the market up, and they have to a certain extent. Um, yesterday, Dow was down 23, S&P down 8, NASDAQ down 87, so not much movement there. A little bit in the NASDAQ. Bonds, uh, 10-year up 3 basis points, 4.31. The Bund up 3 basis points, 2.50. Japan up 2 basis points, 0.72. We've got oil uh, up 6 cents, 78.60. Brent down 11 cents, 83.57. Uh, natural gas down two cents, 185, but it's up 17 cents from the bottom, 168 the other day. I think that was the bottom, 168. Our Bob down a penny, 226. Uh, the dollar is uh, pretty much right where it is against the euro, 108.3, where it's been the last four or five days. British pound, same thing, 126.5. Here's the big, the big story has been uh, Bitcoin up another 2300, 62,603. Let's just pump up Bitcoin to about 10,000. 100,000 and everybody will be rich, right? And something that, well, whatever. You got to check out our Twitter feed for that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Video. Uh, gold down 560, 2037. Nobody wants gold. They want a fake stack instead. It's just the way we are. Silver down 10 cents, 2253. Copper unchanged, 384. Greg, what do you got for us? Uh, traffic weather sports. I didn't make it to the end of the double overtime Bulls game. Well, good news. Yeah. We won. Anyways. Uh, morning, everyone. 6.38 here in Chicago. About 20 degrees outside. 43 today and sunny. Phoenix, 53 right now. 76 today, also mostly sunny. Inbound traffic to the uh, I-90 interchange from Kent, or from Montrose, 10 minutes. The Edens from Lake Cook, 23 minutes. Inbound Ike from Wolf is 22 minutes. Dan Ryan from 95th to the interchange is 17 minutes. And Stevenson from 294 to the Rhine is 21 minutes. Like you said, Bulls win at home. They beat the Cavs in double OT. Um, DeRozan had 35. Vucevic had 24. So that was nice to see. Also, Illinois uh, in college hoops. Number 13, Illinois wins at home against Minnesota. And they won uh, 105-97. DePaul lost a real nail-biter at Xavier. That was 58-91. And Has there ever been a worse team? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe DePaul from a few years ago. They're in their own league. Anyways, that's all I got. Back to you. Actually, the the team that was uh, my sophomore year at Notre Dame had to be the worst major college team ever. The uh, I actually went down to Kevin. You didn't. You know, I cannot remember for the life of me who I who I, dro- I drove all the way from South Bend down to the opening night of what what is now well it used to be the new arena at the University of Indiana. It was the opening night of that arena, and I thought the place kind of sucked, actually. But but that was before there was an expressway. You had to go right through all these little towns. We went all the way down there to watch the game. What was it, Kevin, 94 to 27 or something? Yeah, it was something like that, yeah. Was yeah, it? Digger Phelps had inherited a, uh, a team. Freshmen couldn't play, so he had some good freshmen. And, all, and other good players were either out on one leg, literally, yeah. uh, or, uh, or whatever. And, uh, yeah, they were, they were very bad. Well, the year before was a serious NCAA team with Austin Carr and uh, Collis Jones. They both went on for a pretty yeah, good sick, NBA sick career. Like Collis Jones, yeah, good ball players. All and uh, so they the, the entire starting five left, and uh, 
they had recruited their big recruit was a guy from Chicago named uh, Sammy Puckett. Sammy Puckett, who's in the Chicago Hall of Fame, um, was one of the best players I ever saw. As a matter of fact, uh, they asked uh, tell us his name, the guy from Indiana, who played for the, the Pistons. That Jordan doesn't like what's his name. Uh, he was Isaiah a, Thomas. Isaiah Thomas. They asked him who's the best player I ever played against. He said Sammy Puckett in high school. Anyway, he comes to Notre Dame. He uh, freshman first semester when he's not even on the varsity team. And a kid came from a Catholic school here in Chicago. Charles Francisco. Yeah, and he and when he get all F's and flunked out. He never showed up for class. Or, I don't know what the story was of him, but he was gone. Some other guy got a motorcycle accident and lost a leg. A third guy joined the Peace Corps. It was about his biggest uh, screw up. And, and John Shoemate was uh, had a uh, a blood clot problem and. Yeah. Uh, and so he was out. Um, so Shoemaker would have at least made him respectable. Yeah, and then they, the oh, only thing is, oh, no. they, Go ahead. well, the only thing that saved them, sort of, was Era let the, the Townsend brothers play from the football team. Yeah. <laughs> Not that either had an outside shot, but at least they could compete, and they were good athletes. Yeah, well, Willie was a big, strong guy. I mean, you didn't mess with him underneath. Got to play against him at the rack. He's strong as an axe. So uh, yeah, that was uh, Digger Phelps' first team. <laughs> he, he got he got better from there, but God, they, they, they got way better from there. Well, did they um, had they even won a game before they got the Townsend brothers? I don't think they did, did they? I don't know. I'd have to go back and, and pull up that season, but I don't really want to. No, don't really want to. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so hey, uh, no mention of Northwestern last night. Northwestern beat uh, one at Maryland too. So Northwestern is now uh, has twenty wins. They're twenty and eight, and they're eleven and six in the Big Ten. So uh, good for the Wildcats. It, it, Make that should be a tournament team again this year. You know, Kevin, I I think there's been I don't I don't know that the uh, the transfer stuff seems to be as crazy in basketball. It probably is, but it seems like since the some of these formerly one and done people can now go to Atlanta and not have to go to college, it seems like some of the the college craziness is toned down a little bit. Is that just me? Uh, I think it's just you. Probably. I think it's just you. Off of last year's Notre Dame team, J.J. Starling is playing at uh, uh, Syracuse, and um, uh, Dom Campbell is at Howard, and uh, Cormac Ryan is at North Carolina, and Ben Allen Lubin is at uh, Vanderbilt. Uh, meanwhile, the incomings, they got a guy uh, uh, from Northwestern, uh, Julian Roper. They have a guy from Rutgers, Tay Davis. They have a guy who came from Penn State. Uh, Kebajai, they have, um, oh, oh, you know, it goes up. So no, especially when there's a coaching change, the uh, the turnstiles start going. But is there is every guy going from place to place getting? A, is it a bidding war? Is it a, is there cash transfer? Like there seems no, to be a football. I, I, I really think um, I, I really think it's tied to more more of the coaches. Uh, you know, the the relationship with the head coach is totally different in basketball than it is in football because just because of numbers. Um, so I, I, I actually think you know when Mike Ray decided to retire, that meant two of his three recruits decided to reopen their recruitment. It meant um, it, you know, and and you would think if those guys who had reopened their recruitment, as well as some of the guys off last year's uh, roster, if they had had time to get a load of Michael Shrewsbury, I think they would have you know said, oh, this looks good to me. But um, you know, but the fact is they didn't. And uh, because as soon, you know, because everything's changed. As soon as Mike Bray's leaving, everything's changed. As soon as Michael Shrewsbury's on board, everything's changed, and everything changed at Penn State when Shrewsbury made the move. 
Um, so it, you know, because uh, because out of the out of the freshmen on Notre Dame's team, uh, three of them were going to Penn State. And they just came with Shrewsbury. So well, I, I one of them's his kid. What those relationships are like. Yeah, one of them's yeah, his one kid. Of them's his kid. So if the kid didn't come along, he would have been grounded. <laughs> God, he would have been so grounded. Uh, I, I guess my question is, I, I don't know that there's. It seems like everybody who transfers in football now, there's there's a bidding war. There's money involved. Yeah. But I also I also think that the oh, four or five people, maybe ten people that used to be the one and duns, are now going to the place in Atlanta. And at least you, that what I meant to say is I think that element is is dropped in football quite a, or basketball quite a bit. Yeah, I think that's I, I agree with you. I think that that has and and that's actually been for the good. Because yeah, I think so too. That's a, even though it's a talent drain. It gives a little more stability to the rosters. Well, and, and, and a person who never wants to go to school doesn't shouldn't have to masquerade as a college student for six months to play basketball. Mm-hmm. You know who does transfer? It's the guys who have uh, um, that that graduate and still have eligibility, and they're not necessarily big time NBA prospects. But a lot of these guys, especially coming from uh, smaller programs, uh, they 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 will tend to. Uh, want to prove themselves in a major conference, you know. So I want to take. I, I think of uh, Paul Atkinson uh, a couple of years ago playing for Notre Dame. He had been the Ivy League Player of the Year. Yeah, but yeah. The opportunity to come get a graduate degree and at the same time play ACC basketball and really show that he, you know, that he belongs at that level. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think it's the same thing, you know, on, as just because I know the roster on the women's side. They get transfers in. They have somebody from Pepperdine, and she has not proven that she can play at an ACC level and doesn't play much. But they have another young woman who is a, one of their starting guards, starting because of injuries, but has, is more than holding her own, named Anna DeWolf, who came from Fordham. And again, the ACC is arguably the best basketball conference in, in the women's side of the equation. And, you know, Anna DeWolf. Has is a fifth year student getting her graduate degree and showing that she can play at this kind of level. And I, you know, I think if you're, if, if you understand how athletes think, they want to prove themselves at the highest level possible. Is uh is all the is all the COVID stuff work its way through in terms of? I, I years think we might have one more round of players who are, have that extra year of eligibility, and then uh, then that'll be over. Is the kid from uh, Gonzaga? The redheaded guy, uh, Tommy or Timmy, whatever his name was, he was there for a decade. I mean, no, I think he's gone, isn't he? Oh, he's, he was only there for two decades, wasn't he? Uh, you know, there's always these players, and you know, uh, it's it's funny because you get guys who are really good, but they're not quite that NBA guy, and all the opponents hate them because they feel like they've been there for ten years. And good. Well, you're your big man, your big man on campus. Uh, this guy from. Uh, um, Southern Cal is supposed to be the first round pick, the quarterback. I mean, he, he's going to be taking a pay cut. Maybe. No, he's not. Well, no, but, he's not. but I'm saying he, he is. Do you think his endorsements are going to go away when he goes to the NBA? Well, probably no. not. Probably no, not. not. You, you know, people keep saying, well, why wouldn't Caitlin Clark stay at Iowa for her for that uh, COVID year? Why why wouldn't she do that? Uh, you know, after all, she's uh, she's going to have to take a pay cut. No, she's not. Well, I mean, I, I, <laughs> she got a million dollar a year deal with Nike. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, is they're, they're, the the local fandom. Some of these people are are not they're they're not uh, Charles Barkley. They're not uh, 
the quarterback. Uh, Caleb Williams made around ten million dollars, by the way. What I'm saying, when you when you get to the national level, you have to have you have to be able to do commercials and stuff. It's not just stand there. I think, but yeah. I know, we'll see. Well, you, have you have you seen Caleb Williams uh, commercials or seen him interviewed or any of those? Kinds no, of I'm. Things? Uh, I'm just, oh, how he's got a big he, personality. He does. He okay, up, so he'll be fine. How angry does Reggie Bush have to be right about now? Yeah, <laughs> ten million dollars for the USC guy. Well, he's. <laughs> He, yeah. Those are in two seasons. I don't. It's not uh, bad. Well, it's a. Uh, I'm surprised. He got Dr Pepper, Nissan, Wendy's. Ooh, Wendy's is doing surge pricing now. For oh, no, no, they backed off this morning. Oh damn! Yeah, they're not doing any of that stuff. They they backed off. But I was I was looking forward to ordering about sixty baconators at you know three a.m. and and then uh, selling them. At well, we have two stadiums here in Chicago that after. 20 years of people playing in their ridiculously low rents, the the people, even though they paid for the places all along the way, still owe a bunch of money on it. And they're looking for new places. And somehow or another, the population is collectively, not individually, collectively so dumb they're actually listening to the thing. But the, the best one is this morning, if it, or last week. Chicago Fire, for those that don't know, managed to talk the city of, was it Bridgeport? Not Bridgeport, Bridgeview. In the building a stadium for them. It, the thing was a total fiasco in terms of money. They never got any crowds. The city paid for it. The only way they've been able to somewhat uh, keep the, the debt service going is they have uh, it, they put some kind of an indoor soccer stadium that they charge people's kids to play in in the parking lot. And they end up, uh, they, they have a, a flea market there on Saturday and Sunday. Charge people to go in and buy old, other people's old crap. So the fire has the nerve to say, they might want to be in the stadium thing too. Anybody who reads the numbers from Bridgeport would say, what? "Don't even open your mouth." But yet, <laughs> Kevin, they're out there. I, I love it. I mean, it's. Do we have a collective memory of about a minute or what? Yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds about right. Hey, before we get completely away, we, yeah. we were talking. We were talking border, and we we're talking criminal enforcement and all that. It, you know, if if you really wanted. To make a radical change to society, maybe to sort of get into that, uh, you know, Klaus Schwab, uh, Great Reset point of view. What would be the first step? And I, I would think that the first step would be to take the existing society and make it as chaotic as possible, so that people want a change. They want things to be different. And uh, and boy, if that's the plan, they're really doing well. Well, you know, Kevin, uh, who's the uh Tricky Dick's two daughters, one of them married uh, David Eisenhower, right? Eisenhower's son, or grandson. Grandson, happy grandson. grandson. Um, and the other one married this, this other guy, supposedly real smart guy, works for some think tank. So I, I read, so one of the listeners, thank, thank you, sent me this uh, thing he wrote for this think tank, and they were talking about society and Congress. This is, this is a decade ago. And uh, how it seems like nobody can get along, nobody can do this. There's murders all over the damn place. Uh, Congress is, you know, <coughs> can't get anything done. And <coughs> his point was, we haven't hit bottom yet. Only when you hit bottom do you actually start talking to other people. And I remember um, Dr. J's uh, wife, Bridget McGrath, um, she was a judge, and for a while she was in uh, divorce court. And she was telling me one night, she goes, you know, it's funny, almost every couple, no matter how bad the divorce is, how matter how much they hate each other at this point, and the lawyers are fighting back and forth, 
no matter what income level you are, once you get to the 40 to 45 percent number, we've basically pissed away that much money on attorneys, and the rest of it's just going down the drain. No matter how much you hate each other, you sit there and go, wait a minute, we better stop this, or we're not going to have a dime. Even even if we need an armed guard in the room with the yeah, two of us there. We'll be able to split nothing 50-50. Yeah, and uh, so the, the question is, how low is the bottom, Kevin? I, I, I thought for sure in the Chicago shootings, and I've said this a hundred times, one day, this is before COVID, right, Greg? Somebody on Lakeshore Drive was driving along, minding his own business, a shooting ensues, and his two-year-old or her two-year-old kid gets killed in the front seat of the car on a summer day at noon on Lakeshore Drive, right next to Grand Park, where people are playing softball and, you know, whatever. I'm sitting there going, this has got to be the bottom. This has got to be the St. Valentine's Day massacre of this generation. And it wasn't. And it never has. It, it, week to week, all of a sudden there was one, uh, my buddy Bill was telling me about it, on the west side there was a, a shootout people in a house and people in cars and how many people in the middle ended up getting shot that weren't even a part of it or some or the next day some park somebody opened up and like 12 people got shot behind the person there there, there doesn't seem to be a bottom how, how can there not be I mean I, the thing I, I the thing that really frosts me and by the way I I, I, I certainly appreciate your guys knowledge and what's going on with the uh, immigration situation but I, I get this odd feeling that that it's it's a cover-up for all the other crap that's going on. It, it's a cover-up for the, the 100 murders in Chicago, or 200 or whatever it was last year. Now, now we talk about the, 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 the people standing in front of the building by my, my house are, weren't the problem this week, last week, and they didn't shoot anybody. They're, they're, they're a problem. I get it. And, and something has to be done about it. Uh, but the, the the problems were here long before they got here. It, it's, well, it's, and, and a lot of them don't want any part of the gangs. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Except except that in many cases you're beholden to them because that's how you got into the country and and so you you have to do their uh, if you don't do their bidding then they'll they'll come looking for you so yeah it's 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 a complex mess and I get that and, and I'm just thinking you know what if you really wanted to screw things up in this country if you you know now maybe you'll get people crying for change and they'll they'll be open to anything no matter uh, you know no matter how uh, heavy-handed the government piece of it is or maybe you know what's really going to happen is we're going to go to what you asked the question you asked me earlier at what point do we really start pushing back on this well this kid uh, uh, have you and, and I don't know the answer to that um, I, I, I just think it's something that we uh, we need to be watching well is it maybe maybe if you grow up with it like this generation has the last 20 years has been happening the last 30 years if you grow up with it Maybe maybe you get so immune to it you don't worry about it. I wonder how deep this is, Kevin. I, I know you're not all over the Chicago news, but for some reason, because it was a near North apartment or kind kind of hotel room, some kid last weekend. You remember this, Greg? Three days ago, some 17 year old kid gets shot. Now either he barely made it or he or he died, one or the other. But the, the, all the police said was he was totally uncooperative. You're on your friggin' deathbed, and you're not, and you're afraid to tell somebody who shot you. How, how how inculcated are you to this culture or whatever it is? Yeah, but but what you are is you're afraid they'll come after your family. Well, whatever it is, I mean, I I, I mean, I, I whatever it is, it, it's pretty strong. Whatever whatever it is, it's pretty strong. It has to be pretty strong, and it's pretty darn wrong. And oh yeah, yeah, and so you know, 
look, you and I are old enough, and uh, you know, a lot, a lot of the uh, uh, hosts, are, you know, guests, regulars on the on the show are old enough. Where we'll probably be, be just sitting on the porch watching the world go by and seeing how it shakes out. Um, you know, I, I fear for the generations behind us because I don't know how it's going to shake out for them. And I, I think that's, you know, that's where we're sitting right now is, uh, uh, you know, there's there's some long-term stuff. You know, I, I got kids. <laughs> you know, I got yeah. kids that are uh, adults. They're going to have to live with whatever we whatever it is we're doing. They're going to have to live with it. Well, I mean, even simple stuff, Kevin, and I, I don't want to uh, be a, a pusher for this kind of stuff, um, but if, if we're going to be involved in all these, I'll use the term fracases all around the world, and if we're not meeting our voluntary service goals, guess what? <laughs> we're going to have to nudge people. Now, whether it's a nice nudge and having a lot of uh, ROTC in high schools and things like that, or whether it's a not-so-nice nudge in a draft. I mean, this whole idea that this is all for somebody else, some other some other class of people goes and fights my wars, I don't think that's going to that's gonna last if things get worse, do you? That's, that's not going to last, and I've, I've always believed that when the U- U.S. wants to get involved in something, that we should immediately put a uh, surcharge on uh, uh, everybody's uh, tax withholdings. Um, right, you know, right away. Say, here's what it, here's what the tab is. We're off. We're off to the Middle East. We should probably be doing the same thing. We want you. You want to support Ukraine? Cool. Got 300 million people in this country. Uh, if we're going to send them 300 million dollars, then that's about a buck ahead. Except that not everybody pays taxes, pays federal taxes. So maybe we need it, and not everybody's employed. So maybe uh, we need it to be a buck ahead for everybody on your tax return. And uh, maybe it really needs to be two bucks ahead to cover it, and that's for three hundred billion. Now, if we're going to send them uh, three billion, then it's ten bucks, and if we're going to send them uh, three hundred billion, then it's a hundred bucks. Everybody, you're paying, and you know maybe people would then start educating themselves a little bit. You're uh, saying that uh, out of their pocket. You're saying that when Bush two uh, listened to his uh, neocon buddies and invaded Iraq virtually the same year as he put through a huge tax decrease and really started the deficits in the direction they are now. I'm not blaming it all on him, but he started it in that direction. He was the first guy to double the deficit in his in his tenure in office. You think maybe that shouldn't happen that way? Maybe it should have been well, a, a, a tax no, increase. Be, be specific. Be specific. This is an initiative. As as so many of the politicians say, It's this is in our national interest. So go ahead, make the case. It's in our national. If it's in our national interest to uh, to get involved by supplying Ukraine, and I'm, I'm not arguing whether that is a yes or a no. What I'm saying is, once we've made that decision, then we can't just create the money out of thin air anymore. So we have to go take it out of the pockets of, of uh, uh, the U.S. taxpayer. But, he, but this Let's is make it specific. Let's make it so that everybody understands we're taking your money for this. But that's and, not what. And then let's see what let's see what the uh, support really is. Let's see how many people start, uh, you know, uh, uh, start putting these little Ukraine fra- flags in their avatars and all that. Maybe everybody will say, "Oh yeah, that you know, they, they'll agree." Putin's a uh, bad guy, uh, and and he needs to be stopped, and we need to put a stop to this right now. Cool, you know, let's do it. Do you but, think uh, we got to make the case for this for uh, for people? We've been we doing this just, now. This is. How many presidents are we at now? We got, we got, we got Bush. We got 
I mean, we've had since him. Obama. Bush, Obama, Trump, and this guy. So we're on, we're on president number four that would never think of raising taxes to to pay for something that, that's something that nobody thought of, like a war. Yeah, well, that's too bad. Well, yeah, but it's, it's need, not, it's we not need, popular. We need, that. we need that thought process. We need the American public. Because we are paying. You know, if we're going to go, if we're just going to go create the money, we're paying. We're just paying it in, in inflation. Well, let's be let's be a little more specific about it. Well, the inflation part, I uh, I still can't. I'm surprised, Kevin, that uh, maybe because I saw it firsthand at a young age when I used to do taxes for people during the uh, you know actually before Reagan, uh, and you know I saw the different bracket creeps people had in their in their. Uh, Right, nobody, nobody knows what the hell I'm talking about. There used to be, a, a, I don't know how many tax brackets. Was it like 15, Kevin, or 12? There was a lot of them. You know, there was like 16 to 18. Oh, it's like every yeah. $300. Yeah, it was like every couple grand for sure. And uh, so if, if if you were an auto worker in 1975, say, when a lot of this started, actually it started in 68 when, when we started, went off the, uh, the gold standard and, and increased the money supply to pay for the Vietnam War. So this is long before Bush too, by the way. So it's 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 been a program that's been around since really the Dutch, uh, so all of, not that our Dutch, the regular Dutch. Um, so if, if you're an auto worker and you, uh, I'll, I'll keep this really brief because we're almost out of time. But um, if you had a t- if the inflation was 25 percent over the next eight years, and you kept pace with it, and you actually got a 25 percent raise, which most people didn't, the 25 percent increase that you got in your wage was taxed at a higher rate than the stuff before. So you actually ended up short and the government ended up long your money. Same thing's happening now. We got down to only a few tax spots, but now the big one I think is what, 40000 Kevin? Where you jump from 12% to 22 Well, anybody making 40000 four years ago and if you kept pace with inflation you need a 35%, maybe 40% raise. So you're up to 56. Well, the, the the next 16, you're paying 22% and not 12. So you're not you're not even. So the biggest winners in inflation really are the government. Not to mention, if 10 years from now when you pay somebody back on one a 10-year bond or whatever it is a note, uh, you're paying somebody back with a lot less money than it was worth when you got it. So government's a big winner. I mean, anybody thinks that they're that they're, that they're the ones that are fighting inflation, they're the ones that created it. <laughs> I mean, anyway, Kevin, thank you very much, buddy. We'll talk to you on Friday. SP Futures That's down fifteen. That's tomorrow. That's right. SP Futures down fifteen. Nasdaq Futures down forty. You and Lou got me all all kitty wampus here in the yeah, end of days. That's okay. Dan's on. He'll yep. bring you. Dan will bring me back because he's a Thursday guy. Be right back, Stocks and Jacks. Yeah. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. (laughs) Yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for 
stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right Hello and welcome back to Guys. I'm talking about Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures down 15. NASDAQ Futures down 48. We had Dan on yesterday. Dan, I think we all would have appreciated a little uh, sell snowflake reminder yesterday. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. I'm looking at the stock right now, and you and I have talked a lot about uh, market fabric, market integrity. Yes. Uh, and neither one of us are real happy. And Kenny Polkari absolutely is not happy with the market integrity of today. And I seem to recall um, many, many moons ago, if I was a, if I was a Tonto, many moons ago, I would say, uh, I think, Dan, they used to, when they had earnings, would stop trading a stock at like 11 in the morning, put it out while people were, and then they'd have a conference call, and they'd st- start it up again at like quarter to 12. When people were around, right now I'm looking at this snowflake, I don't know. I have a pretty good feed here for my IB people. I'm seeing it down 54, down 47, down 54, down. Don't tell me this market. This thing is seven dollars wide. This market is it? It it you know it maybe it's probably not because look there's a fair amount of liquidity in the market. And at this hour in the morning, that's it my maybe point. Liquidity at the moment. I'm sorry. I mean at the moment. I mean when when you're talking four in the afternoon or before right. the opening. I mean, why why is the thing even allowed to trade here now? I absolutely agree with you. Absolutely agree. It's very complicated, and we have after our hours uh, trading, and and it's you know certainly hard to keep up on if you're an investment manager, right? Yeah. So hard to follow. So, but uh, yeah, the the thing about liquidity in the market and spreads are definitely a function of liquidity, and and um, the you know the liquidity is still relatively high, and. But yet it is not so high for, say, smaller cap stocks. And Snowflake doesn't necessarily fit that category. But anything that's traded, you know, is less liquid or there's where there's uncertainty. And oftentimes where there's volatility, you may see, you're probably will going to see um, wider spreads. What I've seen over the years, and this happened with high yield bonds as well, is that the more volatility, the wider the spread would be. So regardless of the liquidity, in other words, if there were the, the market was moving very quickly, the bid side and the offered side were, were going to widen out. So so that might just be a function of what's happening today. With seven, seven bucks is a little extreme. It is a little extreme. It's very extreme. I'm looking here at the 230. The stock is down uh, 53 bucks at 176. I'm looking at the 230 straddle last night, and it's 25 bucks. Uh, so the thing is blown through two two-plus times straddle, uh, which is, again, used to be very rare, but now it seems like it's happening every week. And yeah. I think the... Actually, uh, you know you know the group uh, that I meet once in a while over at the series. You've been with us, and uh, 
Matter of fact, they axed when you're coming back. I said, pretty soon when the weather gets better. He's only a fair weather kind of Chicago guy to stand. Oh, no, no. I'll be out in Chicago soon. <laughs> well, yeah, as soon as the, when, when the weather's nice, you know. Anyway, the, uh, <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, the, <laughs> well, one of the guys uh, is, uh, you know, he's a risk manager for one of the, the big firms that puts the mixed markets on the floor. And we were having a discussion last night that the firms wanted all this stuff to take place after hours when they're the only people around, right? They right, could really exactly. take it, really take advantage. But now it's gotten so extreme, they're having second thoughts because they're the ones that are getting hurt with the 25-hour straddle and the thing moving right. 50 bucks. They're going, wait a minute, this isn't so hot for us now because there's nobody right. else. There's nobody else around but us. Right. So, because right, you need you need another side of the market. You need someone else to trade, and that may also be part of the answer to your question: why the spreads are so wide? Because after hours, you're not going to have as many. You're not going to have two sides. You're not going to have as many buyers or sellers. Is, so but there is, is there even, I should know the answer to this. I mean, uh, you may, if not, where's Kenny when we need him? Is there anything re- remotely resembling a, a customer order book after the close? I think so, yeah. Where I is mean, it? it? Well, it's, you know, um, I, I think it's going to be more specific, not so much to like a specific customer as it is to a specific asset category or you know for example with international right because things trade you know in uh, on our do- on our hours they trade aftermarket right so so for those clients who are i you know one of my good closest friends is an international um, equity manager and and uh, you know it's a different world when you're trading in those hours so if you're managing a balanced portfolio or a, port- a portfolio with diverse assets you're wor- working around the clock if you're oh, trading yeah. internationally clients are going to have to be you're going to have to have them on you're going to have to have a of an account so you know your accounts active um in some cases all day long 24 hours so well uh dan when you when you put together i use the term in exchange uh the the best products when i when i traded my well before i started before there was an oex but um, most of my years uh 18 of the 20 i was a oex trader and uh the and it was like you know 350 it, it was if you're going to trade the market you're trading oex that, that pit was the single, the second biggest exchange in the world was that pit. It was bigger than every, all the rest of the pits on the floor, bigger than the Amex, yeah. whatever. And, uh, but the thing that I always thought made it the, the best pit ever, maybe not to this day, was 62 or 3% of all the trades were customer to customer and not customer to somebody else. Right, not without an intermediary. Without an intermediary. And, and, I'm gonna, and the market makers really did just... Uh, pick up when there wasn't a customer bid or offer there because custom, customers actually got the advantage. Now that's right. totally turned around, and I'm going to say that on stock trades now, especially when there's payment for order flow, is it even 10% customer to customer? I doubt it. I, I doubt it too. I, I, I think that there's so much regulation in in our industry, and especially with trading, that it's less likely to happen. Years ago, with high yield, because it isn't on an organized exchange, we were able to broker trades. Um, you could make money by brokering trades as a manager. Um, you could create your own markets. You, the lower you went in credit quality, the more you could go direct to other, um, you know, to other investors. Uh, so, so yeah, that I, I was involved and actually active in that during that time when there was a much higher percentage of customer to customer trades. Um, but now that everything is done electronically and especially with IB, you know, with IB being able to, um, you know, the, the level of technology and, and the now, you know, like the tiny tiny amount you paid for a trade cost. I, I don't think people, investors care as much, people on either side of that trade care as much 
But it's really regulation, isn't it? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, it would, it's, well, ba- it's bad regulation. It, it's bad. I'm not saying it's good. Yeah. I'm just saying it's it's regulation. It, it's that's that's what's happened, and, and it does make a lot more sense. We used to be able to trade, um, you know, between accounts without having to go through a broker. So if you had, you know, this was back going back to the '80s, where you could, you know, you could say, hey, this this account needs to sell this this bond, this high yield bond, and this account needs to buy it, or this account has cash, and that one doesn't. So that used to be okay to do. Now it's not. Now every trade has to go through through a broker. Well, the trades always used to, the stock trades used to have to go up on an exchange. Yes. But, but it was, uh, you remember the X behind it? It said it was a cross yes. order? Yeah. Absolutely, so, yeah. So, for instance, I'm, I think we're way over everybody's head. If, if somebody went to the CBOE floor, instead of saying, I'm going to buy my stock at, where am I at? I'll look at Home Depot. It's 377. I'm going to buy my stock at 377 and I'm going to sell the, 85 calls at five bucks. Okay, the, the the dopey broker would would go to the New York Stock Exchange, buy the stock. By the time he got his fill back, go to the CBOE or wherever, and hope the five-hour bid was still there. Well, that's a dopey broker. What, what you should do is you should have said, okay, I'm paying 377 and I'm selling it for five bucks. I'm going to go out to the CBOE floor and I'm going to pay 372 for the package. So there's no you know, there's no legging. I'm not doing one side and hoping the other side right. is there. So it's a way, much way better to do business. Now, you your your broker now has to you're buying a thousand shares and the market maker is selling you a thousand shares. It still has to go up someplace. So the Midwest or at the Chicago Stock Exchange or even the Cincinnati or some they would allow crosses where the New York Stock Exchange would not. Crosses so all of a sudden that. you'd see a thousand uh, Home Depot go up at three seventy seven. And and uh, and it would be an X after. I mean, it was a cross. It was still right. on the ta- it was still on the tape. You know, you couldn't get away so with not putting it on the tape. But 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 it was it was it was a cross, and it came out in a regional. And, no, and actually, it was very customer friendly because you didn't you didn't you didn't get caught by buying it at three seventy seven. And oh, by the way, by the time you, you got the other order down there, the stock was three fifty or something. Right. Yeah. Exactly. The t- right. Yeah, and, and I remember all that. I mean, we again, we were operating, at least on the high-yield side, we were operating, we weren't operating on exchange, but it, they were still cross-trades that were going between accounts. And and for one, it was transparency. And as you're mentioning, you know, especially if you're dealing with the timing issue, you're not going to be, you know. But today, the timing is so, it's an instantaneous timing, right? So, well, it sort so of is. It's, it, mostly, it, it, yeah. It, well, <laughs> mostly. It, but somebody's mostly. always got a faster feed. But yeah. now, but now well, the big yeah, difference... I say the big difference now in stock trading is they allow people to to uh, cross trades or actually put trades up between the minimums where they used, didn't used to be able to do that. That, that I think needs right. to stop. Anyway, Dan, what just out of history because you you alluded to it, some bonds were listed on the yes New York, but like would that mean like every GM bond was listed or only the bigger ones or the closer ones or what determined right. which one was listed and which one wasn't? Right. So so think of. Um, GM, for example, issues uh, may issue uh, you know 50 different bonds, different maturities. Um, they're issued at different times. So, um, and, and depending on what time frame you're looking at, for the most part, GM was considered an investment grade bond, so it was a higher quality bond. So there were more higher quality bonds that were listed, but that would be part of the underwriting, if you will, of that 
that bond issue so that would be a determination that would be made from the beginning it wouldn't be a determination that would be made in the secondary market by the way we're going to put this this secondary market bond on the exchange so you would know from the beginning it generally is going to be a larger issue size so it wouldn't be a hundred million bonds it might be 500 or a billion bonds okay so even though GM would have you know say 50 or 60 different bonds outstanding the ones that were the largest in issue size, the ones that were the most liquid, would would be the ones that would be um, candidates to be on the exchange. High yield had a very small percentage, and the ones that were in high yield that were listed were at the higher end of the quality range. So RJR Nabisco, I remember, had some had some um, high yield bonds that were you know exchange traded. So a very very small percentage. Otherwise, it was a dealer's market. You know, it was a, and that was fun for me. That was fun being able to make money in the in the trading, because we traded as PMs. We traded um, ourselves, and I still do still do that today. And there's still opportunity to make money in the trade. But not but some not not every GM bond was listed on the New York. Just a f- no. just a few of the big ones. Just a few of them, and, and a few of the larger size issues. Exactly. Well, some of them were. And you could actually were... years ago. You know, you just go to the New York. You know, you go to the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times. And you could find those bonds that they'd be listed. You'd see all the stocks, you know, and the um, you'd go through the pages, pages and pages of stocks. But there was always a, sec- a section from bonds as well. Well, the ones that were issued with like a, a warrant kicker or something, not a warrant. Uh, what, do you, what are they called? What's the yeah. thing? a warrant kicker? Those those would probably okay. likely be listed too, right? Because then yes. the warrant would be listed as and, well. Yes, in convertible bonds, yeah, be listed more. Certainly, preferred stocks. There were some that were. Yeah, so that would be the that would be the way it would go if there was some equity component. But actually, again, it was mostly liquidity. The larger issue sizes. Are, are any of them still there or no? Is that, is that the dodo bird? Yeah, no, there's yeah, there's still some there. And the, and but but uh, the other thing is generally they would be what we used to call the go-go names or the more popular names, like a General Motors. You're less likely to see a less of you know like a less popular name. You know, it would be a name that everybody knows. Okay. So that people did yeah. So that people that were trading on the exchange. That was an opportunity to be able to purchase bonds. So they want to put some bonds in their portfolio. They would do it through the exchange rather than rather than doing it through a dealer, which is the way we would. So do the it. regular specialist who normally traded the stock, he would trade the bonds as well, or some other guys specialize in that. Specialize in it. Generally, you can have a, have a, a, a separate person, especially on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, all right, I got to ask you about uh, snow down fifty three bucks. Here is is it. Was it that overvalued, and now a bunch of other stocks are that overvalued, or just a one and out, a, a isolated case? I mean, should someone be looking for this on some other stock that has had this parabolic rise, or is it isolated? I, I think it's isolated in this situation, but it, but um, I think you know it's I think it's one off. It's not one that we we follow closely because it's not really our, you know, tech isn't really our our thing. But I would say that it, that it's, this is an isolated situation. I don't think this is happening across the board. Um, and it's it's you know you know how this goes there chief there's names that kind of get in, under everybody's radar screen and they get talked about and talked about and they become popular for however long that period of time is it might be a few hours or a few days and then they go off everyone's radar screen so I think during the time where they're on everyone's radar screen that's when you're going to see this type of movement because you've got you've got a lot of activity you've got a lot of volatility um, you've got different um, factors you know Kenny Kenny would really be the expert in talking about the this, but the flow of funds has always been a very important one. Knowing who owns it, 
you yeah. know, and that's the great thing about having the, you know, knowing who, who who are the buyers and the sellers out there, and especially in the institutional world. What do you make of? Uh, I don't know about th- this specific stack, but if you add, you know, if you, if you add the uh, ETFs, aren't a real lot of these big stacks now uh, either owned by? I mean, they're all institutionally owned. I mean, how, how much of uh, Nvidia is owned by individual people? Not as much if you look at a percentage, right? So the largest percentage of ownership is going to be in mutual funds and ETFs, right? Yeah, I would think so. Or, yeah. yeah, every time we're looking at a stock um, or bond, but a stock, let's just talk about stocks, we want to know the percentage of institutional ownership. But here's where things have changed over the year, Chief. Years ago, it would be fidelity. You know, being a Boston portfolio manager, it would be fidelity. It would be mass financial. It would be Putnam. It would be... You know, those would be the 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 um, investment management firms that own them. So you would you would kind of know if you were in Boston, you'd sort of know who owned them and who didn't. Today, it's an ETF or a mutual fund. Well, you know, we went through a period where it was mutual funds and then ETFs. So it it really changes the dynamic. And and there are people out there that are saying at some point the ETFs blow up because you have such a large percentage of some of the largest you know companies out there are the ones that have the largest floats, like an Nvidia. Um, that have a, a large part of their representation in ETFs. So, so the decision to sell an ETF is very often different than the decision to sell an individual stock. In some cases, you might be forced to. In some cases, it, it might just be you know your your allocation to the ETF is a way of having exposure to the market, but you have to sell the whole thing to raise cash. So, it's the decisions years ago might be based more on company fundamentals or valuation. You know, this thing got priced. You know. The valuation went up, so now it's time to sell. Well, it That's also it makes it difficult. Yeah, I mean, you're very familiar with what I do, and I'm reasonably familiar with what you do. I mean, I mean, I, I may sit here and, and rag with you about, geez, these seven stocks are pretty high, but the fact is, you know, in the last few weeks, I've put several million dollars to work, and I'm buying the spider, I'm buying the stuff. You know, and I, right. I mean, I, I guess I wish there was a, you know, an ETF that was the, you know, spider minus seven or minus five or something. Right. Uh, there will be. <laughs> there, there might, there might be. Well, but there no, be. you end up. And then what kind of a? Remember when I was on the CBOE board, somebody got a hair up here behind and said we should have a an automotive index. And uh, also the guys in research who were actually pretty good. Um, the uh, they came up with it, it, it. No matter what you did to it. If you put 15, 20 stocks in the automotive index in their automotive business, General Motors and Ford were going to be 80% of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, or, you know, throw Chrysler in there and make it 80 I mean, No matter what you did, uh, you know, you, you weren't going to get, you know, Allison Transmissions, okay, they're 2%. I mean, they're, they're a nice company. Right. You know, put put BF Goodrich in there making tires, and, you know, like I, say, I don't know if they make tires anymore, but, you know, put those guys in there and – you know, they're they're just they're just a pimple on the butt of an elephant. I mean, you sort of can't do it. You know, I mean, uh, same same way with you know how how can you have a Nasdaq without those stocks? You know. Well, if you yeah, and if you try as a as a as a portfolio manager, if if you're trying to add alpha, the only way you're going to do it relative to an index is to overweight some of those names that are there. And if like you said, say GM and Ford represent eighty percent of the ETF, you're not going to get that eight that that added alpha the the added return over the market so so people who just want exposure in general to the automotive industry you've got the weighted indices right or the weighted etfs 
And then you also have some that are equal so that each each particular ETF has the same weighting. I mean, each particular particular stock within the ETF. Well, that would be, like the da- that'd be like a Dow, price weighted, but no, that, that's, nobody wants yes. to invest with that price either. Price weighted is, yeah, yep, nobody exactly. wants to invest. And, and what we do when we're looking at ETFs is we actually dig in and look at the holdings. We don't just buy it because it says automotive ETF. We look in and see the allocation, and now there are so many different ones that they are allocated in different ways so that you can get more exposure. I think the best example, and not that I really want to sit and talk a lot about her, but Kathy Wood's ARC, for example, the, yeah. you know that, that very popular, and Kenny and I have the same feeling about about her and the, her whole, you know, the rise to the top, if you will, with the ARC. But I liked it at first. I liked having exposure to the to innovative stocks, if you will, the Teslas and the and all the names that were innovated. Innovated. But what we had to do before we purchased it years ago was to look at each individual position and the weighting of those positions. And we also wanted to see how those stocks were traded or added because it's done quite differently than buying an index fund. Well, even the, it's not done to- well, even the really funky automotive thing that I was talking about, it wouldn't have been a very good index, but still, if somebody had a feeling that they wanted to be in that industry, it still was better than trying to put the package together yourself. Absolutely, yeah. Even though you know, you know, that's where you're. I mean, I still think that the that the Nasdaq Qs is a better deal than me trying to sit there and go, okay, let's do forty-five it, shares of this and twenty-five of this. I mean, I still ab- think that, you know, even yeah, though you yeah, know what yeah. you're getting into, and you're not all that happy with the. It's still better than you're trying to do it yourself, I think. Right, and and, and it, it's especially true of those sec- segments of the market that you you don't have we don't have that specialty or that expertise. You know, if you're if you're uh, an auto analyst, you can look at each of the auto. You know, you might want to buy the individual stocks because you know those companies well. You know the industry well, which is really important. You know those companies that have the best chance for outperformance. But if you're if you're a layperson. Or if you're somebody who's a generalist and you just want to get exposure, it is tough to do that. It's a lot easier to buy that, whether it be with the, a NASDAQ or whether it be with an individual sector. Well, you I wanted have, to just... Go ahead. Fair way. Go ahead. No, I just wanted to bring up a couple points that are things that are just coming to light this week, like like very, like very right now. I mean, one, one noticeable thing, and we did talk yesterday about T-bills, and I still love them, and I love short-term, and the yields are higher, and they're a great purchase. But to follow up on corporate bonds, the spreads are getting really, really tight, which means that the advantage you're getting, the the yield, the high, the, the additional yield you're getting um, over the t- comparable treasury has narrowed all the way down to um, for high yield. You're only getting three percent more or 300 basis points more. A year ago, when we used to talk a lot, I used to talk a lot I, about I think spreads. We gotta make make that more so everybody can. Can hear it. You're talking about the normal spread between, say, a junk bond should be 11 percent, and T-bills should be four or five. Right. And now it's five versus eight or something, which is does not exactly. Yeah. So now does not pay you for the added risk. By, so you're getting three percent more by holding a high yield bond or a junk bond. Um, a year ago, you were getting four and a half percent more. So a year ago, so if the T-bill rate or the the comparable Treasury rate was five percent, right now you're only getting eight. But if the comparable treasury was five percent a year ago, now you know a year ago you were getting nine and a half percent. So the additional yield that you get has dropped considerably in the last over the last year. So corporate bonds are not as attractive. Whether you're looking at investment grade, the higher quality names, or whether you're looking at um, 
high yield. You're just not getting that. And that's just coming to light right now because we call it a narrowing of spreads, you know, getting less yield, if you will, for, the, for taking on the risk of being a corporate bond. It's just been in the last six months that we've seen this really, really um, strong tightening. And it's not necessarily based just on demand for yield like it used to be when we were talking over the last few years. Now it's based on the fact that this is, you know, there, you know, there's some economic factors going on here, and that these these companies are doing better, and their credit, you know, from a credit point of view, they look more attractive. Right now, if from an investment point of view, they don't look attractive. Well, Corporate bonds are not as attractive as they were six months ago. Dan, let me give you a, a real quick, which you know, uh, and you can help me with the name of the guy. Uh, who's the guy who uh, actually invented uh, junk? Not not not. Uh, not investment grade, read junk bonds. So the guy with the bad toupee and went to jail. Tell us his name. Yeah, Mike Milken. No, Mike Mike Milken, genius man. I mean, we need. Yeah. He, and yeah. His, but the idea was, the bonds are trading. You know this better than me. Regular bond is trading six. These are going to trade eleven or ten or something. Right. Um, now the reason for that is, if one out of twenty of them goes bust, you're still ahead of the six. Yes. Um. Yeah, and, and you're hitting it right on the head, yeah. Chief. It's 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 default risk yeah. with high yield bonds, with junk bonds. It's default risk. It's the probability that a particular bond defaults. And you're absolutely right, especially with high yield bonds. You want to have diversification. So, I mean, you want diversification with stocks, but the rule is what about 29 stocks, 30 stocks? You get you get yeah. good diversification. With junk bonds, it would be the same. With high yield bonds. You need diversification because the probability of default is higher across the board. And again, it's higher for certain names than others, and that's why you do your homework, which is what we do, to determine which ones have the lowest um, risk of default, because that's your main risk with the high-yield bond. Well, if you do the math, if one out of 20 goes bust and you're 5% higher, guess what? You're even. If if you if you start yeah. out at 3% layer like you're talking about, you're sitting there going, wait a minute, there's no room here. Yeah, Exactly. Absolutely. One other quick thing I want to mention, PCE is just about to, yeah. the personal consumption expenditure is just to, about to come out, and we were talking about inflation, and we've got, we've talked about this for a while, but just to, you know, to just to kind of because the numbers coming out right now, you know, there there is, you know, there you know everyone wants to know really where where we stand with inflation, but I say just look around still as as a listener, you know, look around to see where where you're paying higher prices. We've talked about this, certainly healthcare costs. So what they're referring to is the services, the, the cost of services. Healthcare really stands out. Another area that really stands out is insurance. I read an article yesterday that a huge number of people are leaving Florida because the insurance rates have just gotten astronomical. And so there are certain costs that do affect most people, like healthcare costs, like um, and those is what I would refer to as service charges. If you've been to a uh, dry cleaners um, lately, if if you can still find one, yeah, um, if you still find those one. costs have gone up. Contractors, like if you haven't worked done on your house, those costs have gone up. So what we refer to as service costs are still high, and, and in many cases still going up. So the service part of the economy, if you will, still absolutely has inflation. Where we don't have as much are in goods. You don't see quite as much on the good side. However, just to make a quick little, you know, just an observation, I went to a Trader Joe's yesterday and I was looking and, you know, they have a bottle of vodka for 10 bucks. And I'm thinking, okay, so if you're with your spouse and you're deciding to go out for dinner, why do you want to pay 20 bucks for, for a cocktail when you can get a bottle, a bottle oh, yeah, yeah. 
stay home and have a coffee. So that is what I would call the substitution or the transference. By the way, Dan, the number came out 1% versus point, uh, point 0.1 versus uh, 0.3 personal income. I still haven't seen the – this is the inflation number that's useless. The Fed, you can't get any detail on it. Anyway. It is. It is as soon as we get the number, we're going to go to break here, Dan. Uh yeah, I think we need to think about the the the, the consumer. You, you know, the, the point is just look at where, where things affect the consumer because that's really what the PCE is about and how the consumer perceives what's going on with inflation. Uh, the consumer's screwed. We don't care about the consumer. He's screwed. I still don't see this number. Do you? I don't see it as a personal. Anyway, we're going to break. We'll be back with the number. SP futures are up three. As if he's up 38. So I'm thinking it's a good number. We'll be right back. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures now up three. Nasdaq is up 37. So consumer spending down 0.1 versus uh, positive 0.2. I still haven't seen this. Why don't we do this very briefly? Why don't you do this real quick traffic weather sports and then we'll be right back to this because these numbers are just flying through here. Yeah. Well, key inflation uh, rose 0.4% in January as expected, up 2.8% from a year ago. 2.8% from a year ago? And eh. 0.4% uh, I thought I, my estimates were 0.3% so that's it's hotter than the other estimates, but so uh, 0.4 times 12 is what 4.8 on the year. It's not two, is it, Greg? A little bit different. A little bit different. But you're not supposed to do these multiplications. Don't do these things. It just confuses everybody. Well, Why don't you go real quick, and then we we'll get the jam. Assuming the data is good. You know, oh, don't ever assume. Big assumption. Yeah. Anyways, um, it is 7:34 here. We got 20 degrees now. 43 sunny today here, Phoenix. 53 right now, and then 76, mostly sunny today there. Inbound traffic, 24 minutes in on the Kennedy from Montrose. Edens from Lake Cook is 42 minutes. Inbound Ike from Wolf, 40 minutes. Dan Ryan, 95th to the interchange is 30 minutes, and the Stevenson from 294 to the Ryan is 35 minutes. Sports, Bulls win at home. They beat the Cavs double overtime. College basketball, Number 13, Illinois wins at home against Minnesota. That was 97-105. Northwestern wins at Maryland, like Kevin noted, 68-61. And DePaul loses at Xavier, 58-91. And so I got Chief. Thank you. So we have uh, the core is 0.4, and we got personal income uh, up a little bit, but uh, consumer spending down a little bit. Um, Jan, what do you make of all this, bud? You're, you're our... Our PCE uh, analyst. It's you our usual gobbledygook. Yeah, it's uh, 
Hey, I am looking at one thing right here. Um, uh, credit card debt statistics. This is absolutely scary. Um, from uh, fourth quarter of 21, actually the second quarter of 21, we were at about $780 billion. And now in the next three years, we're up to $1.13 trillion. It absolutely looks like a straight line up here. And it is pretty scary. Uh, so the uh, the uh, core price is year over year, 2.8 versus 2.8. So, I mean, these numbers are somewhat in line, uh, and it's got the market running up here. Now we're up uh, almost 30 points in the spoos since they came out. I'm not sure why they're... But, I, you know, it, they're not good. I mean, the, the core, you know, 0.4 times 12 is 4.8. That's how we used to judge it. Now we don't. We say, no, don't worry, year over year it's 2.8. That's last year. Who cares about last year? It's what are we talking about? This month times twelve is what we're going at right now. Or, or where am I wrong here? Yeah, you know, the thing uh, that I, I just have to kind of step back from all this, Tom. The, the number about you know total credit card debt, I think, is a dependable number. I mean, I think it may be somewhat worse than that, but but there doesn't seem to be any attempt to hide just how terrible it is, and that's a hard number to budge because. The credit card companies, you can be sure, have that calculated to a penny all the time because that's their product margin. Um, they know what, what that's translating to in terms of late fees and, and interest. So that's the that's number they have to have a handle on. Um, but the rest of it, when it comes to you know what, what this means you know, month over month, year over year, I, I, I kind of tune it out now because, first of all, I don't trust the process by which they arrived at that number. Well, the PCE you can't trust because you don't know what it is. You, yeah, the point is to try to duplicate the process, even if there were one, because there's stuff you could be sure is, is being left off here and included somewhere else where it doesn't make much of a, a splash. But but you got to look at the, the credit card debt number alone as one that, that shows incredible stress. And I don't care what uh, the rest of these numbers show, that shows something is, is you know, there's serious pain going on here. And it isn't getting better. It's getting astronomically worse all the time. Well, Johnny, things I just do stuff I'm not supposed to do, right? You put 1.12 trillion into your little calculator here, and multiply it by 25 percent, and divide it by 12. You get 23 and a half billion dollars a month in interest people are paying. Now, not everybody's at 25 percent. Some are worse, but that's not including late fees, penalties, and other stuff. That's a boatload of money flying out of people's pockets. It, it, well, what does that really signify, Tom? That signifies um, deferred, how many things are, are deferred because of that? The people whose balances have topped out who have no no more borrowing power at all, no more credit available. Um, or people who have just decided to just throw caution to the winds and, and you know, hope to tide them over with a credit card until they get a job or, or you know, their hours go up or something else, or people who have just you know, lost the ability to compete completely. They're, they're barely putting food on the table. They're not making car payments. You know, they're, they're measuring bankruptcy as an option here. This is, this is you know, something that those numbers clearly suggest is, is deeply embedded now. And that culture has, is something that people are really suffering from. It's just, it's just something you can't maybe quantify. The number is scary enough, but, but the real pain there it's pretty hard to get a handle. Well, Jim, what if if you uh, you know you, you've not been in this 
situation, but if what if you were uh, every man and not, not yourself, and all of a sudden you've got nice job, uh, wife's working, everything's cool, you got the two kids there in high school, and maybe maybe you're in a suburb where you don't have to pay for them, or maybe you don't, maybe you're going to Fenwick or someplace. Uh, you've got, you know, you need two cars because the wife has to drive to work too, or or she's got the better job and you have to drive to work too, and maybe one of the kids has a car because they got to get to school, or, or maybe they both have to have a car because they got to get to school. I mean, it's not like... And they uh, all have to have insurance too. We all got to have insurance. And, uh, and by the way, you get the taxes on the house and you're paying the mortgage and all the other stuff. And uh, one of you loses a job. Now, on the edges, you're probably not going to go out to a downtown steak joint and spend $20 a person that Saturday. But by and large, you're, you or the wifey, one of you is, look, is, one of you is looking for a job, hopefully not both. You're going to give yourself somewhat of an estimate all right, in three, four months, I'll, I'll land okay. Maybe six months. We've got some money in the bank. We're going to be into the savings a little bit. And, oh, by the way, we're not going to go out and buy new furniture or a new car. But, you know, all of a sudden, you know, transmission goes on one of the cars. Well, that's three grand or four grand. Uh, you start creeping on this credit card. What still your intentions are by the end of the year, it's all going to be taken care of. And then maybe it isn't. I mean, I don't think that the people who put this money in, I mean, I'm sure there's somebody somewhere who immediately that gets a credit card with the $5,000 thing goes out and says, okay, how much furniture can I buy for 5000 exactly? I mean, there might be that person, but I don't think I don't think it's normal, John. I hope it isn't. Most no, if, if you qualified for a you know, card with a decent rate with that kind of you know available balance on it, that's that shows you haven't been doing this in the past or you wouldn't be getting these credit card offers on, on decent terms. Of course, the number of them now on decent terms has dropped dramatically, too, because there's not that many people who are credit-worthy the way they would have been maybe five years ago, and maybe for the first time in their lives, they're really seeing what it's like to be stressed out, where they don't have you know, the ability to plan to buy a house in the next five years, maybe not even in the next ten years. At their job, you know, pictures should change in any way. And this is something I think people have you know, come to grips with, and it's showing in their consumption patterns now, where the, a lot of the spending clearly is is being put on credit cards, which which tells me that there is no. Most people don't do that. Most people try not to do that if they have a, a, an income flow, and they have a job, and they have some management of their health care issues and the rest of their bills, they're not living on their credit card. And anything, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try and be nice to people. I'm gonna, anything unexpected is going on the credit card. Right, and that, that will have a domino effect on where everything after yeah. that, too. So, you know, if you, if you have any kind of a crunch, if your hours get cut or you got a huge bill you didn't foresee, um, all of a sudden things you never thought you'd have to put on a credit card are things you, there's no other way to pay them now. So... But you can also depends on, on on your on your idea of, of budgeting. I mean, uh, you could say nothing bad's ever going to happen, and we're going to pay the mortgage. We're going to pay this, and by the way, we're going to we're going to go out five nights a week or something, and uh, we're going to be fine. And all of a sudden, the the, the eight year old car has a five hundred dollar bill. Well, that shouldn't be a shock, Susie. I mean, uh, I mean, you, you, or. Your, your house that you've had for 
15 years all of a sudden needs a, a water heater, there, there's a certain maintenance to this that should be budgeted before, if you can, before you go out and, you know, spend money on the, on the, on the double martini, right? I mean, right. I mean you, you can't expect to go through some people's idea that, oh, I need a brake job at 60,000 miles. Their surprise would be somebody else is saying, "Well, of course you need a brake job at sixty thousand. What's the matter with you?" I mean, it, somebody's surprise is somebody else maybe is lack of preparation, right? Right. I mean, I'm, right. Bu- I'm buying a home, I'm getting it at a decent price, or I think it's a decent price, and you know, ought to be the first to say, "Okay, you're going to get your inspection." The guy says the heater's working, but it's eighteen years old. It's going to give you another two or three if you're lucky. Air conditioner, same way. For you to not plan for that and say it's a shock when that ten grand for the for the uh, heater goes on the credit card, well, it shouldn't be a shock, right? I mean, I don't think it should be. Uh, no. So some of it has to do with planning. Some of it has to do with now, if it's a medical thing, you didn't plan that. You know, kid comes home from soccer with a, with a you know a, a torn ligament in his ankle and he's got to get operated on. Well, and, and your insurance isn't so hot, so that costs you ten grand. Well, you didn't plan on that, right? I mean, how, you know, I don't know why you would. I mean, uh, you wouldn't think people are going to... But stuff happens, right? Uh, and, you know. and even for the, the ones who plan very well, Tom, you know, the, the, who have been you know, careful to put aside a certain amount towards retirement or investments or just in an old savings account or just so you'll not spend it and just leave it somewhere. For those people, it, it clearly now, they it isn't that they're being forced to use a credit card because they allotted too much to their savings yeah, or their retirement. It's because they don't have any other way of, of keeping their, you know, their economic ship afloat, and that that to me shows that the a point of desperation, where even with planning, and even maybe with the best of planning, there's things you you, you can't necessarily plan for, well, you or can't. That, on this time frame, or, or this this number of things all converging at once, where you have you have to pick and choose who to pay this month and who not to pay. Most people don't foresee that as you know the way they want to live their lives and, and they will do everything short of having to do that and I, I think there's a lot of good people who have you know tried everything possible not to be here and here they are anyway and it's not necessarily because they were poor planners well they also the shack when I did uh, my inflation this is long before COVID it was a very snowy day and, a, and I looked at the uh, CPI and their numbers and I picked out three or four things that I thought were pretty key in everybody's basket. And uh, I don't know if I told you the story. The, because uh, it's going to lead into this big jump in taxation here in Chicago, property taxes. Uh, I, I looked through and it, the, I think between, I must have done this in 2020. So, because I had 20 years, 2000 to 2020. So it was 20 years. If you went into the uh, CPI, I think they had uh, everything up 0.8%. So anything cost you a buck in 2000 was a dollar 80 in 2020, so 80% higher total for the 20 years. And I dug into uh, <clears throat> you know, again, some of this is sloppy. I tried to be rigorous, but I, I couldn't really. I dug into the cost of higher education. There was a site I went to. Now they want you to pay. And I just took a bunch of different schools. I averaged them. I didn't even go funky. Because somewhere around 2020, a lot of schools got the hair up there behind to, to charge people out of state like a real lot more. So actually, the tuition prices are more than they let you on, especially at state schools. But I didn't do that. And I basically had 
um, higher education up 285%, not 85%. And then I went to uh, cost of, of medical care, which, again, is a fun, I couldn't figure out what how you can dig into that number. So I said, all right, let's just figure out how much people are paying in insurance. So I looked at insurance rates of a firm like PTI paid for their people in 2000 versus 2020. And uh, again, I didn't dig into the part where most people now have a higher deductible, so you're self-insuring a little more. So the, there's been a degradation to the to the policies, but I, I just went with the numbers. So I was trying to be nice. It was a nice snowfall. And guess what the number was, Jen? 285. Exact number. And then I said, okay, how about primary education? Because what you won't find in any of these lists, <coughs> CPI or any place, is property taxes and sales taxes. So I said, okay, to try and try and find the rate for primary and secondary education, say in Illinois, the, the, the best, even though very sloppy way I could get to it, is virtually every municipality, you know more about taxes, 50, 55%, 48% is for the schools, right? Mm-hmm. So I just took how much is the of the property taxes in Illinois going up in 2000 and 2020? Bingo, if the number wasn't exactly 285. So here's three things in everybody's basket that's huge, and instead of being 0. 0.8, it's 285. So the degradation of your paycheck over that period, if you... I don't see, you now one of the guys here in the office, they have a home in, in uh, Ravenswood. You know, it's nice area. It's not. It's on a scale of one to ten neighborhoods. Where would you put Ravenswood, John? Of six and a half, maybe six. Well, some parts more. I think it's seven, maybe. It's a really nice place. Seven. Yeah. I mean, okay, but it's not a ten, but it's a seven. And the, the taxes went from uh, eleven to twenty on their house. Twenty grand, Jesus, John. What are, what are we doing here? Um, and then uh, <laughs> had a couple cocktails last night with these guys, and uh, I said, "Anybody get their tax bill?" And one of the guys has a bus. Uh, he's over in Logan Square as a uh, condo, like a two-bedroom. It's in a, like a 12-flat or something. So nothing special. He goes, yeah, mine went up, but they, they kind of weren't that, wasn't that big of a deal. Well, give me a for instance. Well, they were 2200 last year. And these are 3000 I go, what are you talking about? Not a big deal. It's like 40%. <laughs> what are you talking about? 35 40%. That's kind of a lot. Well, yeah, but it's like only eight, 800 bucks. I said, yeah, but the, the percentage is pretty friggin' high, but if you had all the units together in your building, where do you think you're up to? Oh, yeah, well, I didn't think of it that way. I mean, th- that's that's nowhere in this CPI. So a regular person in a regular house is all of a sudden paying twenty grand uh, on, on property. Now, that's got to be an education number, right? But these numbers are astronomical, John. What do you, who, who budgeted for that? Right, well, this is the thing, Tom. If you were starting a family, let's say, in 2000, I don't think you would have banked on that 285 no, no increase. There's no way a sensible person or a financial planner would any more than you know when it comes to what's happening in the last you know ten years or so with taxation, and and then I mean to put that against the, the degradation of the school, we won't, we won't even go there today because that's a longer topic. But but what you're paying for, what you're getting, oh, what, what you're getting for it versus what you're paying for, yeah, that's right. Let's not go there. That's, that's, yeah. a, that's a month we'll, discussion. We'll, we'll just be sticking. We'll, yeah. we'll turn off all of our. But but this, but that kind of you know, there's no no planning around that that fits that kind of scenario that we've seen. I don't care what crystal ball you thought you were using and what worst case scenario 
you you know put into the hopper to make your decision on how you could swing buying this or selling that or whatever or waiting or doing it now none of that kind of of deliberate you know choosing of, of options it takes into account these ridiculous expansions we've seen to really get us nowhere farther along the line you know it's, it's like what, what you were talking about with kevin earlier and you know the wars are expensive and you know you, you have to print the money or tax people for it and either way if we took all of that money whether it was Viet, for vietnam or iraq or afghanistan or ukraine and put it in a big pile and set it on fire it would have done a lot more good for people because we could have used that energy to heat some homes for a while. <laughs> yeah. We have absolutely we have absolutely nothing to show for it otherwise, and yet we we put ourselves in a position where we can't afford. Well, yeah, we do. We have we have thousands of people still needing care for lost limbs and everything else. Right. We, 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 yeah. Hold on. A lot of defense contractors made money, guys. Budget. Greg says a lot of defense contractors. That that's very true. As my cousin in, in Columbus has said, every war. Some group of people's kids die, and another group of people make money. Well, and a lot of a lot of other, you know, maybe less even less fortunate families are caring for someone who is so maimed that he yeah. or she can't work anymore. can't provide for his or her family. Is left as you know part of the safety net now that nobody wants to calculate a cost. Well, I tell you Where, what, uh, all this coming to our planet. I tell you what, Audrey's friend, uh, you might have met her, General Dynamics and Raytheon. Thank you for your business. Yes, General Dynamics and Raytheon. Thank you. Uh, but her her friend uh, Di, who's a who's a terrific lady, a, a sommelier, unlike you know, she's not just a guy like you, John, who holds his pinky up when he drinks wine. She actually knows <laughs> the, what the wine. She's a full fledged sommelier, been in France, all those places, and uh, really knows her stuff. Uh, she retired, and um, uh, she had been doing volunteer work for I forget the name of it, but it's a it's it's essentially a Ronald McDonald House for parents of. Mostly women, but I think uh, probably male parents could. For parents to come and stay with uh, their wounded veterans when they when they come in for treatment or get feed you know fitted with an artificial leg or something it might take two three weeks to get used to it or whatever. It's like a house for them, like patterned after the Ronald McDonald House. So she ends up when she retired, everybody Moet and everybody immediately offered her a job for way more than she was making because she's terrific. She goes, no, I'm, she now she now is running that. She loves what she's doing. They're making progress. They're building a new place up at uh, up uh, where, what's north where the uh, not Gray's Lake. One, one of the places up there where there used to be something. There's a hospital up there, so they're building a second house up there. But this is people volunteering to do this stuff. Nobody else. I don't say they don't care. They do care, but they choose to ignore. I mean, if it's out of sight, out of mind, kind of thing. I mean, I know there's homeless. I just want to see them when I drive to work. That kind of thing. Uh, you get some of that, but in terms of the money, Jan, you hit the nail, I think, on the head. We can we can fight today like a bunch of grousers on TV. Ah, oh, man, this number came in at point three. It's pretty good. And then somebody else will say, yeah, but it really should be point four. And so, Jan, it means nothing. But if if you continually come out at point three, when it should be point four or point four and a half or point five, and you extend it out over five, five, ten, twenty years, and you sit there and go. Hey, you buffoons are telling me auto pickup trucks should be up 0.8% or 80%. Looks to me like they've quadrupled. <laughs> I mean, you're not, you get to the point where you're not even on the same planet. And I think we're sort of there. Yeah. Think of, think of the people who, you know, for, for lack of anything else, have had to buy into these numbers, Tom. 
whether you know how honest they are or how twisted they are, um, the, the data that we're given, such as it is, isn't anything like the whole, whole story, and it's, it's deliberately twisted in a way so that we don't factor in costs. That if you had time to think about it and analyze it, what did this invasion in this country really cost? And I want to see the medical bills. I want to see the equipment you know, costs that were lost. I want to see the travel. I want to see the business end of it. What businesses made or lost money? In it. I'd like nobody would ever to try to like make that into some kind of a number because it would freak us all out. Well, John, I remember uh, how much we- the 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 uh, Gulf Gulf War Two. It must have been Gulf War Two, and uh, we had people. You know, we, we had about well, if you're a casualty, that's way too many. There weren't. I'm going to say an egregious amount of casualties, like you know World War II or something. Uh, but I read, and actually one of the listeners must have sent it to me. All the really good stuff people send it. And thank you for that. Somebody calculated what they thought the number was going to be in terms of real cost of equipment and you know the stuff we're going to leave there and and the, and the continual medical care for the people who didn't die. Uh, that's that's I won't say it's easy. That's easy and cheap compared to long-term care, right? This guy yeah. had a trillion, a trillion one number on it. And when was that? Two thousand. I don't remember what that was. When was Gulf War Two? When was Bush in office? Uh, I mean, that was. I'll bet it's above that. And if you were to ask somebody, they in government, they'd say, "What are you talking about? There's no no way it's that big. It's got to be that big, huh? How can it not be? When, when you talk about the." All the all all the uh, the treatment and the artificial limbs and all the other stuff that goes with it, that that's not cheap, and 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 you really have to do it. I mean, how those people deserve it, right? Uh, and well, Tom, and that's that's lifeblood. I mean, these are these are bodies that yeah. are are damaged who cannot you know be part of the GDP as as producers. Well, so ideally, we just, you're trying to get people back to where they are. I mean, the people jogging along the lakefront with the with the metal leg. They're they're back in the system. They're doing the best they can. Yeah, and they're, and they're, I'm not saying that, yeah. that nobody makes it back again, but we've clearly been totally oblivious to mistakes of of not having you know the, the people that we set off to fight these ridiculous wars come back in one piece and worry about what that means for everybody else, not just the people taking care of them, but the, but the lost productivity and just the the loss of, of motive to keep going. This, there's only so much of this that they can rely on for people anymore, and it's showing now in their recruitment numbers, well, yeah, well, which the, are not awful. Well, the lack of truth, Dan, is what, what Kevin was mentioning. I mean, I would think that, by the way, we would never be popular as politicians, but, you know, Bush, I mean, I, I, I couldn't stand the people he surrounded himself with. They were all, they were so anxious to get oil in there, and the idea that they were so anxious for a tax cut. If you were to come out and say, by the way, we feel that Saddam Hussein... He's hiding weapons. He's a, he's a scourge on the earth. Blah 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 blah. Which you know he wasn't a good guy. I mean, it, you me argue that he was. We feel that it's in our best interest to go and do this, and we think it's going to take, you know, two months. By the way, we're going to be there for the next ten years, trying to make a nation out of the place. Which, as as uh, what's his name, Paul said, if you if you if you break it, you own it. It's going to cost us this. By the way, we expect these many casualties, and thanks God for our. For our uh, medical staff, they're not all going to die, uh, but some people are going to have these problems, that problems. We're going to put a trillion one tab on this thing over the next 20 years. And oh, by the way, you have a tax surcharge for the next four years of 
giant that war would have gone over like a fart in church. No, nobody would have wanted to go over there. Right? And let alone tell what what that kind of you know commitment made yeah. in, well, made impossible elsewhere. Yeah, but we, that's right. Oh yeah, and we're not even tires. talking about not only the transmission broke. You need a tire next week. We're not we're not even going down that road. Here. But I'm saying, right. now, this wh- is, why this can't is why we don't have you know adequate police forces? This is why we don't have. It isn't because we've, we've spent so much on education that we, we don't have good schools. It's because we didn't care how we spent it any more than we cared for how we spent it on these wars. But whenever, whenever you avoid the truth. You avoid the truth for two or three decades. Look where you land, John. Thank you very much, buddy. Talk to you. Maybe we're going to see you now that it's now that it's warm I again. Hope, I mean, yes, I hope so. all right. But SP futures up fifteen now. We love these numbers. We don't know where they came from, but we love them. Nasdaq futures up ninety four. Back tomorrow, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to ptisecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at ptiprodirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit hamzianalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.